When we moved into our house six years ago, there were two things I did not know about it. One, it was a termite motel. Had no idea. Shame on us for not having a pest inspection done, but had no idea. So you all know the termite story. If you don't know the termite story, my house was eaten by termites like four years ago. That's neither here nor there. The other thing I didn't know was there was something else inside my house that I had no idea. It's actually in the house. It's in the garage. So like I said, six years ago we moved in, uh, and uh, finally this past spring got around to cleaning out the garage. <laughs> Procrastination is my middle name. Um, but inside the garage, I, was, I, was, I found out that ugh, there's these. There's like weights. And you're thinking, that better not weigh 10 pounds. Because it like struggled to pick it up and everything, and I'm a weakling. Anyway, no, this is a 33-pound barbell. This goes on the side of a barbell, and, and I'm assuming that somebody would actually put one on each side of a barbell and then attempt to lift 66 pounds plus the weight of the barbell, which is, you know, more than I can do, hence only bringing one. Um, but uh, you hear that? That's a broken stage, um, but uh, <laughs> oops. Um, you know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about this uh, weightlifting and, and why do we lift weights, you know, or why do people lift weights? And when I say we, I'm not including myself in that, but uh, why do people lift weights? And, and really it's for health benefits, right? Maybe to lose weight, to get stronger uh, so that your body's in better shape. You know, I mean, Americans, you, you may be surprised to learn that Americans spend... Are you ready? $60 billion a year on, in efforts to lose weight. $60 billion. That's more than the gross domestic product of most nations. $60 billion a year to lose weight. And uh, we, we, we buy diet books. We join programs. We join gyms. And by the way, 67% of people never use their gym membership. How many of you have ever given yourself a $50 a month fat tax? You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, I, I have had so many gym memberships in the past, and I'll get really excited about it, and I go for a month, maybe, and uh, so I'm there, I'm working out and everything, I'm feeling good, and, and something happens, let's just get out of the habit, and I quit going, and i got to pay for the next 11 months, $50 a month, and I don't go. Good intentions, right? So why do we do this? Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we lift weights and, and join gyms and read diet books? And, and really, in, in reality, we don't heed the most simple advice. In order to lose weight or to get into shape, eat less, exercise more. Doctors will tell you that over and over again. Eat less, exercise more. You know, and it's like, why can't I do that? You know why I can't do that? For the evil makers of Totino's Pizza Rolls. Thank you. Yes. Wow. That was, not the, that was not the response I expected. But absolutely, pizza rolls are my downfall. You know, I, I don't need them. I don't have to eat them. I tell Tony, every time we go back there to do a baptism, I put on my waders and they get a little bit tighter every time. It's like, man, I've got to quit eating pizza rolls. But I do it anyway. Right? Because I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not doing what I need to do. I'm not building up my body. I'm not strengthening my body. I'm not exercising like I should. And if you're anything like me, you're not either. And when it comes to our physical bodies, we are, you know, in trouble. We're like the most unfit nation on the planet, you know. And so, what ha but what does this all have to do with church? What does this have to do with the church body? 
Well, we read in Ephesians chapter 4 that we need to be building up the body. And I thought, we're doing this sermon series on bodybuilding here in the month of September. And I was thinking about this whole idea of lifting weights and, and working out and exercising and, and how we need to be building up the body of Christ. And that is exactly what uh, Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we're talking about building up the body of Christ. And it was amazing when I started thinking about this sermon series a few months ago started putting it together. It's just amazing how God moves and works and some of the things that God does that I, just blows my mind and just the need uh, of unity and how this thread of unity has woven itself all the way through uh, this sermon series, excuse me, has woven itself all through this sermon series and our need to be unified. And in every single sermon that we we're looking at here in the month of September, it's all about unity and being united as a church body. And just as our physical bodies need health and nourishment and exercise so does our church body our church body needs to be healthy and it needs to be it needs nourishment and it needs exercise and we're going to talk a little bit about that today if you grab your bible and turn to ephesians chapter 4 and grab your bulletin and turn to the back page to the hdo we're going to begin by looking at ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 13 and we'll continue on reading from there in a little bit we're going to start in ephesians 4 11 and the first blank on your outline is unity in faith and knowledge. Unity in faith and knowledge. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to, to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Like I said, the first blanks on your outlines are unity and in faith and in knowledge. Jesus gave certain people certain jobs in the church. In the early church, he appointed some to be apostles, people like Peter and uh, Paul and John, not Mary, but Peter, Paul, and John, and, and the early apostles, um, thank you, he uh, appointed some to be prophets, and there were people who received new revelation from God, and they were prophets in the early church, and they would pre proclaim new revelation. Uh, there were some who were evangelists, and that word uh, literally means somebody who spread the good news, somebody who proclaimed good news, uh, kind of like what we would think about as a preacher today was an evangelist then. And then the other office was, were pastors and teachers. Now that Greek word for pastors there does not have the same meaning that we think of a pastor today. Typically when we think of a pastor, we think of somebody who does what? Preaches, right? Who gets up and, and preaches. Uh, some people call me a pastor. Uh, some will say, oh, you're the senior pastor, you're the lead pastor of the church, you're the pastor of the church. Um, the Greek word for pastor literally means elder. The pastors of the church in the early church were the elders of the church, and they were the teachers of the church. Part of their job was to teach the word of God. So the, literally, in the early church, elders were the pastor teachers of the church, and the preachers, kind of what I do, uh, were the evangelists, proclaiming and preaching the good news. So that's my job. Uh, as far as prophets and apostles, we no longer have those in the church. Apostles were those who had uh, direct contact with Jesus. 
And uh, prophets were those, like I said, who received new revelation from God. God is not revealing new things. He has revealed everything we need to know in his word, the Bible. And so that is our, our, our guide. That is our uh, rule book. That is our field manual. Uh, the Bible is God's love letter to us. And that is what we follow here at First Christian Church. So, uh, like I said, the, the pastors, teachers of the church were the elder teachers. Uh, and their job was to teach. So these people, the, in the early church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers, um, they were in charge of leading and teaching uh, and encouraging and rebuking the church uh, in the first century. Like I said, we don't have apostles, we don't have prophets today, um, and, but these jobs um, that we have in the church, the ones specifically that, we mentioned, that are mentioned here, the elder teachers and the, the evangelists, those jobs are so important to the life of the church today uh, because uh, those are the jobs of leading the church and proclaiming God's word. And they have a specific purpose, Paul says, and that is to prepare God's, work, God's people for works of service. So one of the jobs that I have as an evangelist or preacher or teacher, whatever I'm doing, one of my jobs is to prepare God's people for works of service. That means to help God's people, to help Christians uh, figure out their role in the church in order to serve the church, in order to serve Jesus. So one of the jobs that you have is to uh, figure out, okay, what is it that God wants me to do here at GFCC so that I can uh, do my job effectively? We'll see this in just a little bit at the very end of verse 16. But the reason that we have these jobs, especially elders and, and preacher teachers, the reason we have those jobs is not for our own glory. It is not for financial gain, but it is rather to build up the church. And in order to prepare God's people for works of service. So what does that tell me? That tells me that there is a job for me to do. That part of my job is to serve God and to serve the church by preparing God's people for works of service. And it also tells me that there are works of service for God's people to do. So you have a job. You have some kind of way that God wants you to serve him here in his church. And it may be doing something like Fellowship did last night, encouraging the fellowship of the church uh, by having a game night. Uh, it could be something like Outreach does, preparing uh, baskets of blessing and being part of that ministry and, and blessing people uh, with, these, with these wonderful baskets that they put together. It could be like our, our fuel youth coaches uh, who get together with our young people and train them and teach them about uh, God's word. There's all kinds of ways. It could be uh, praise and edification, getting up and singing or playing an instrument. It could be giving a communion meditation. It could be leading a Bible study. There is some way that God wants you to serve him, and he has wired you in such a way that he is going to have you serve him in that way so that God's people will be built up, so the church will be built up, and God's people will be able to serve him more effectively and more efficiently. That is why we have these roles in our church. That is why uh, God put... Uh, people like elders and preachers and teachers uh, in charge of the church so that God's people would be built up and encouraged to do works of service. Now, there are two things that we need to know. The first is we need unity in faith. So the first thing is we have to have unity in faith. Um, and this has to do with what we believe. Uh, if you look in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, flip back just a little bit to Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. 
As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You hear all those ones there? We are to be a unified body. We are to be united in the faith. Not just in faith, but in the faith. In the traditional faith that is handed down from generation to generation. Are we going to agree on every point of doctrine? Absolutely not. There are things that we're going to look at. We're going to go, I see that differently than you see it. And we're just going to have to agree to disagree on that. And uh, But there are things, essentials to our faith that we have to believe and we have to agree on. That we have to be united in the faith. Jesus uh, as the Son of God. we got to be united on that. Like I said before, it's His name on the building. This is a Christian church. We are a church that is united in Jesus Christ. We have to be united in our faith in Jesus. That He is the Son of God. That He was born of a virgin. That He lived a sinless life. That He sacrificed His life on the cross. That He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That there's no other way to be saved. The Bible says there is no other name uh, given to men by which we must be saved. Other than the name of Jesus Christ. That He is the only way to be saved. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. It is only through Jesus that we can be saved. We have to be united in that. We need to be united in the fact, in the belief that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That we accept his gift of salvation by faith and repentance, confession and being baptized. So how do we get to unity? How, how can we be united in this? That's the job of the preachers and the elder teachers. That we will prepare God's people for unity by preaching and teaching the truth of God's word. That we will prepare God's people for unity by encouraging unity in the body. That we will train people to be fully surrendered and fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Because that is what we want to be. Is we want to surrender our lives to Christ. And we want to be fully devoted to him and to his cause and to his word and to his father. That we will be one in faith and one in purpose and one in vision that we will be one body we will be a united body the second area in which we have a need for unity is knowledge and this is not just facts about jesus this is having knowledge of him intimate knowledge an intimate relationship with him our goal should be that everyone here is growing in their faith in some way and in a fully surrendered relationship with jesus you hear me say that maybe uh, a couple of times a month maybe in a few sermons every month you hear me say something about being a fully surrendered follower of Jesus Christ or a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? You may be thinking, what does it mean to be a fully surrendered disciple of Jesus, a fully surrendered follower of Christ? It means that it's not about what I want. It's about what Jesus wants. Jesus becomes the most important person in my life. It's not about personal preferences. It's not about the things that make me happy. It's not about uh, church existing or other Christians existing or even God existing to make me happy. That's not why God, is, God exists. God exists. Uh, he has always existed. He is pre-existent. He has never not existed. But I am not the center of his world. He is the center of mine. That Jesus is the center of my universe. 
that everything I do is surrendered to Him and surrendered to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's not about my personal preferences. It's about what Jesus desires. It's not about pleasing me. It is about pleasing Christ. And everything I do has to be run through the filter of what does Jesus want. And that's hard. Because I have another filter. And that filter is a little bit in front of the what does Jesus want filter. That's the what does Sean want filter. And I have to do away with that filter. I have to do away with the selfish desires. I have to do away with the selfishness and the self-centeredness in my life. And I have to make my life centered around what Jesus wants. That's what it means to be a fully surrendered follower of Jesus. Have I fully surrendered to his leadership? Have I waved the white flag of surrender in, uh, in uh, obedience to his will? And that's what we're talking about. When, when uh, uh, an army surrenders, it means that they give up. There's no more fighting against the enemy or against the victor. There's no more fighting at all. Rather, it is a complete and total surrender. I'm laying down my arms. I'm raising my white flag. I'm going to completely surrender. I am not going to fight against you anymore, Jesus. I'm going to do whatever it is that you want me to do. And that is a hard place to get to. I'm not going to lie. That is not easy. Again, it's because we're selfish and self-centered. Every single one of us. Sorry. You may be the most wonderful giving person on the planet. But there are ways in our lives in which we are all self-centered and we are all selfish. Every single one of us. It could be in our marriage. It could be in our relationship with our kids. It could be in our jobs. There's some way in our lives that we are selfish. And that's the things that we have to overcome. That is the things that God's Spirit has to help us overcome. That the power of God in our lives to help us overcome that selfishness and that self, those self-centered desires in order to fully surrender to the leadership and to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's all about Jesus, not about me. And you're going to hear that phrase a lot starting in October, that it's all about Jesus, not about me. Just a little foreshadowing of the next sermon series. We'll announce that next week. Second blank on your outline. The second result of the body being built up is that we will become mature. So the second blank on your outline is maturity in Christ. Maturity in Christ. When we mature in Jesus, we will be full of Jesus. The goal of our faith is maturity in Christ. So what are the marks of an immature faith? Look at Ephesians 4.14. Uh, back up to verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. When we mature in Christ, we will no longer be spiritual babies in the church, susceptible to the schemes of cunning and crafty men. Let's face it, there are false teachers everywhere. They write books, they're on TV, they're on the radio. There's all kinds of people who are false teachers saying, and it sounds good, it sounds like it might even be biblical. You mean the cleanliness next to godliness isn't in the Bible? No, it's not. Ben Franklin said that. Or a dry cleaner next to a church. I don't know. But um, stuff will sound biblical, but really isn't. There are false teachers who will sound, boy, that sounds really good. But is it biblical? Is it what Jesus said? Is it what God says in his word? And see, when we're spiritual babies, we'll be tossed back and forth and blown all about like a, like a, a sailboat on the ocean. 
If you don't know God's word, you won't know for sure if a teaching is biblical or if it is not biblical. If you don't know God's word, you won't know for sure. And that is why it is so important that you be in Bible study, that you be reading your Bibles. How many of you, I'm not even going to ask. Oh, I'm going to ask. How many of you read your Bibles on a regular basis? Maybe not every day, but maybe a couple times a week, maybe, you know, weekly, monthly. How many just collecting dust, maybe? No, we need to be in Bible study. We need to be studying our Bibles. We need to be reading our Bibles. I have a a daily devotional that I sent out on average four to five times a week. Um, But Monday through Friday, uh, I send it out to email. It goes out to about 99 different people right now. But if you're interested in receiving that, please let me know. Give me your email address. Shoot me an email at seancornett at gmail.com and say I'd like to get the daily devotional, or you can find it. I have a blog that it, I post it to as well at seancornett.wordpress.com. It's called The Lavish Pauper. There's a whole thing about why it's called that uh, on, the, on the website. But if you're not getting, if you want a daily devotional, a daily reminder of what God's Word says, let me know. There's all kinds of good daily devotionals on the Internet as well that you can sign up for. Some not so good. Some are better than others. But we need to be in Bible study, and not just personal Bible study, not just in what I read each day. We need to be in group studies as well. We need to sharpen one another. The Bible says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I need to be in a Bible study with you, and you need to be in a Bible study with me, and you need to be in a Bible study with each other, and and sharing ideas and saying, you know, what does the Bible say, and how does this apply to our lives? So that we're growing in our faith and we're maturing in our faith and we're becoming more like Jesus because that's the point. And we will no longer be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. We will no longer be tossed about by, by uh, uh, false teachings. You know, it's when we're together that we can grow and that we can mature and we can strengthen. Back to the weightlifting illustration. You know, it always helps to have a spotter. And we need to be spotters for each other. We need to be involved in relationships with one another, helping each other grow and mature in our faith so that when you're going to lift that weight and you can't quite get it and your body's shaking and you don't know what you're going to do, it's going to fall and kill me. Someone's there to go, let me help you with that. But when we're all by ourselves, when we're separate, and we're trying to do it on our own, that's when we get into trouble. We need each other to strengthen each other. So get in a group. If you want to become a better follower, if you want to become a more surrendered, fully devoted follower of Jesus, that doesn't happen in 30 30 minutes a week on a Sunday. It doesn't. I mean, sermons are good. We need sermons. We need that weekly reminder uh, of what God's Word says, but it's not enough. Imagine trying to feed yourself and just eating for 30 minutes a week. You know, Sunday morning, I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm not going to eat the rest of the week. You'd starve. Well, you wouldn't, but you know what I mean. You'd be very, very hungry by the time you got back to the next Sunday morning to eat breakfast. We need a daily diet of God's Word. We need a regular feeding of God's Word, and we need to feed ourselves. You know, my little guy, when I was teaching him to eat, I did what, you know, dads do. You take the spoon, you put it in his mouth, you know, the face you make. Kind of showing him what to do because he can't figure it out, right? I mean, he's like seven months old, and he's like, and you sit there, and you put, ah? Or you make the choo-choo sound? How many of you made the choo-choo sound? Choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo. Or the airplane? Any airplanes? Yeah, okay, all right, we're tracking. Everybody's on the same page now. That's good. But at some point, I had to put the spoon in his hand. At some point, I had to put the spoon in his hand, and he had to make a tremendous mess 
but he had to learn to feed himself. And so my challenge to you in this whole thing is to feed yourself. Get involved in a Bible study. That's the first step of feeding yourself. Saying, I'm going to take responsibility for my own spiritual walk, and I'm not going to be spoon-fed anymore. If you've been walking with Christ for 20 years, and you're still waiting on somebody to feed you and go, there's God's Word. You need to be in personal study, and you need to be in a group study. You need to be studying God's Word and feeding yourself. It's time to grow up and to be mature Christians that God has called us to be. It is time to grow up and mature in our faith and do what it is that God has called us to do and feed ourselves. Yep. I'm a little scared now that I said that. See, I don't like stepping on toes. I'll be honest. I don't like it very much. I like to be liked. I like to be approved of. And I know that when I step on toes, people go, I don't like that. I didn't like that sermon today. You know what? Not worried about it. Because it's the truth. And what God says goes. God says in the book of Hebrews that we need to feed ourselves. That we don't need to be living on spiritual milk anymore. But we need solid food. And so I encourage you. I beg you. Get involved in Bible study. Study God's word. Study it. There are people across this planet who would, who would love to have what we have. And that is the opportunities to study God's word in depth. Get involved in a Bible study. That's all I'm saying. We need to invest our lives in one another. We need to help each other grow. We need to help each other mature. We need to strengthen one another and encourage one another and build each other up so that the body of Christ is built up and matures and grows into the head, which is Jesus. The last blank on your outline is growth in love. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part excuse me, does its work. The third and final result of this maturing process is that the body is going to be built up. And it happens when we grow in love. Jesus is the head of the body. We submit to him in everything. We submit to him in all things. He guides us by his Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit leads us into love. So the first thing, we're gonna, there's two aspects to, to growing in love. And the first is that we're going to speak the truth in love. You know, some people speak truth. They're very, very truthful. But they're not very loving. And they'll speak the truth in love all day, but they don't do it in a very loving way. And then there are others who like to speak love, but we tap dance around the truth because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Where was that? Two minutes ago. We need to be like Jesus. You see, Jesus the Bible says, was a perfect balance between grace and truth, a perfect balance between truth and love. That he could speak truth, but he did it in a loving way. And when we deal with one another, whether it's correcting one another or encouraging one another or rebuking one another or straightening one another out, we need to do that. We need to speak truth in love. So sometimes that's not going to look very loving, but it comes from a deep place of love and concern. You know, my little guy runs out into the street. I'm not going to say, oh, you really shouldn't do that, son. I'm going to run after him and grab him and yank him out of the street before he gets hit by a car. 
and I'm going to shout his name out loud. What are you doing? Right? That doesn't sound very loving, but it's the most loving thing I can do because I'm concerned. And then there's other times I'm going to tell him the truth. I'm going to do it in a very loving way. Son, you can't, can't lie. I love you too much to let you grow up to be a liar. You can't lie. And I'll say that in a loving way, but I'm speaking truth to him. We need to, be, we need to find that balance so that when we deal with one another, that we, that we speak truth to each other. And like I said, we correct each other and rebuke one another and encourage one another and exhort one another. But we do it in a loving way, in a place that comes from a love that we are united in and that we speak the truth in love to one another in a loving, grace-filled way. We need to follow Jesus' example in that. And the second thing is, is that we need to be built up in love. And when we do, when we speak truth to one another and when we love one another, the body is built up in love and we grow in our faith in Jesus and he holds us together. He is the head and we are united in the wide and deep and long and strong love of Jesus, that his love holds us together. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes and says that he can speak with tongues of, men, of angels, but if he doesn't have love, he's nothing. You know, we can speak all kinds of truth to each other but if we don't have love, we're nothing. We can be a, a, a people who come together every Sunday, but if we don't love each other, wh what good are we doing? We are to be united and built up in love, strengthened in Jesus' love. Well, the last thing that Paul says in this verse, in verse 16, this, the last thing Paul says in this chapter, in this part of, in this passage, I'm sorry, in this, in this passage, he says, as each part does its work, as each part does its work. My question for you this morning is, are you doing your work? Are you doing your part? Are you helping to build up the body? Because that's our job, is to build up this body. So if you're not doing your part, if you're not doing your work, what are you doing? If you're not building it up, what are you doing? Are you tearing it down? Are you not speaking truth in love? Are you gossiping about other people? Are you tearing people down? Or are you encouraging people and building them up? Are you building up the church or are you working against it? Are you helping to build up the body? Our leaders need to lead, our teachers need to teach, and our servants need to serve. We need you. We need you to invest your life in the lives of others and to invest your life in the life of this church body. We need you and we need unity. We need to be together, working together to make a difference. Working together to fulfill our mission, to make disciples who love God, love others, and spread the gospel. This is what we are to be doing, to invest our time, our talent, and our treasure, as Eddie said earlier in his offering meditation. We invest our lives so that the body of Christ may be built up, and we will all reach we will all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God. We will all reach maturity in Christ. And we will grow in love. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for Paul's words to the Ephesians about the need of unity in the body. And I pray that you would help us to be united in, in our faith. To be united in maturity. To be united in love. That in all things we will serve one Lord Jesus Christ. 
and that we would work together to encourage one another and to build each other up and to build up the body rather than to tear it down. So I pray today, God, that you would strengthen us and help us to grow in our faith, to be more mature followers of Jesus, completely sold out and totally surrendered to his leading in our lives. We give you praise and glory on this day and for the days to come until we stand before you face to face, worshiping you with the angels forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray.